0: Mm-hmm. For, uh, just your presence here And we thank you God for an opportunity to gather In the name of Jesus We uh, come here tonight uh, With an expectation Of your voice, of your moving God, of being able to receive something from you We ask God that you would teach us We ask that you would speak to us We ask you to encourage us tonight I pray you direct us tonight I pray God you correct us tonight I just to ask you, God that we be open To what you want to say and what you want to do and I pray, Father, that uh, we would uh, just have, just build an expectation for the Holy Spirit just moving our hearts tonight, moving our minds, uh, moving our spirit. I pray, God, for healing. I pray, God, for uh, revelation. I pray wholeness over our lives. I just ask you, God, that you would speak and that change would come. Uh, we really believe you for change tonight. We ask, you, God, that uh, you be glorified and that we would uh, just continually give you the thanks in our evil service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been hearing from some of the people overseas that listen to uh, the podcast. And i really thankful that uh, God's opened up a door for us to do that. And so uh, one thing I have found out, though, as I talk to people that are, are uh, listening to us overseas, they think we're a lot bigger than we are. Uh, But we're not So That's all alright But it's just uh, good that uh, People are listening And people are Taking part with us In what we're doing with Bible study And speaking of that If uh, you are a listener To our podcast uh, We'd love to hear from you And you can uh, Go to a website At www.speakpipe.com At S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E Dot com Slash Monday night Bible study. That's all one word. You just smoosh it together, and you'll get to a page there and have an opportunity. You can press a button or toggle a button with your mouse or whatever you're using your finger, and uh, you can leave us what it would appear to be a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us who you are, where you're from, uh, how you heard about us, what you think, ask a question if you have it, tell us something good guys doing in your life. Um, or just keep it simple, hi, bye, we just love to hear from you, and let you know where you're from, and let us know where you're from, so, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's open up to uh, Prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah chapter 7, if you need a Bible, some are available on the tables. feel free to use those you need a Bible and you'd like to take one with you, a physical Bible, like a book with paper and everything, you can take a Bible with you. We have obtained Bibles to give away, so we'd love to have you take one of those Bibles with you. Jeremiah chapter 7, I need a volunteer to read verse uh, 23. Thank you for reading that. Uh, this, what we're going to look at tonight is this whole section here, Jeremiah is getting to the point. Uh, he's kind of just bringing things down to something what, this is what matters. And uh, I've said this in the past, I'll say it again, that it's a real art to be able to take really complex ideas, to take uh, things that are hard to understand and boil them down to something that people can't understand. And that's real hard point to be able to do that, uh, to be able to to take something that seems overwhelmingly large and be able to distill it into something that people can remember, people can take with them, people can apply it to their lives, people can really take into a point of understanding. And normally there's a real sacrifice that takes place with that where when you distill something down like that, you lose a lot, You know, you lose a lot of meaning, you lose a lot of uh, of context, you lose a lot of substance to it, but as I've shared in the past, uh, people that could do that, Bible writers that could do that, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, somebody like Paul could do that. He could take a really complicated idea, New Testament concept, uh, and have to do with the gospel or have to do with righteousness or have to do with whatever, and he could distill that down in such a way that people could understand it, and people could make it something that they could take with them something they could repeat something that they'd be able to memorize and so he had a gift for that and he was able to do that and you see the same kind of thing happening with the prophets in the old testament where you see a a distillation of ideas you see a distillation of concepts uh, that they were able to take these ideas take these concepts and boil them down distill them down into something that people could hear something people could understand and it was something that people could actually take with them. And so uh, you see that happening here with this prophet. And what happens is is that this quotation is a composite quotation from the prophet. In other words, if you look this directly up, you wouldn't see this anywhere. Like in the form that it's in. But you'd have to look in about three different places to find this. and and to be able to understand it. And so directly, Jeremiah is taking this concept, that he's taking it from three different places in the Old Testament, three different places uh, in the writings of Moses, and he's distilling it down into this one verse, into this one phrase, in this one sentence, so that the people could understand it, so they could apply it, so they could do something with it. And so that's what he's doing here. And so he takes this quotation. I can give you... uh, some of the places you can find it. If you look in um, in Deuteronomy 5.38, now Deuteronomy is one of those books that was found later. Like uh, they had lost Deuteronomy for a while. And if you think about all the turmoil that they had as a kingdom, you had these kings that were coming and going, but the kings weren't always serving God. So they were serving the Baals, they were serving Asherah, they were serving uh, just just all these different weird pagan religions and so the temple was being converted and reverted and converted into all of these pagan places of worship and so some of the stuff was misplaced and some of the stuff was gone. And then you add to that, so you had all of that turmoil. You had all the the kings and all the kings that had their own particular way they wanted to believe things or lead the nation in things or whatever. So you had good kings, bad kings, pagan kings, godly kings, you had all these guys that were coming and going. Not only that, but you also had the issue of other nations uh, defeating Israel, defeating Judah, and hauling away stuff out of the temple. So they didn't have everything that they started out with. And so Deuteronomy was one of those books that kind of got lost. And and so what's interesting about Deuteronomy is you look at the when Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, he quotes out of Deuteronomy more than anywhere else, and it's funny that that would be the one that would be lost to me. Interesting to me, at least. That's probably not funny, but interesting to me. That'd be the one that was lost, and yet that was the one that really spoke to and be instituted through Jesus to us. And so they found Deuteronomy. So anybody have Deuteronomy five thirty-eight? Just real quick. You don't have to. <laughs> Alright, thanks. Alright, so that's sort of what he says there, but not exactly. Alright, so that's not a direct quote. It's just sort of what he says. So then, you look up Exodus 19.5. Uh, and literally, this is God speaking to the people of Israel on the day they were leaving Egypt. And so that's what he, he starts this off saying, well, God said this as he was taking you out of Egypt. He said this as delivering you. He's saying this as He was setting you free from your bondage and your slavery. So literally, this was the day. This is what he said. So uh, Exodus 19.5. All right. Thanks. So that's sort of what Jeremiah is saying, but not exactly. But it's a good piece of it. And just like you found Deuteronomy, that's a good piece of it. Exodus, that's a good piece of it. Now somebody look at... uh, Leviticus twenty six twelve, and read it out loud. All right, thanks. And Leviticus, you think about the book of Leviticus, it was kind of representing the 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 sacrificial, the the ritual side of things. So you had Leviticus, you have Exodus, you have Deuteronomy, and you get this composite quotation. Is what you get. And that makes sense because the the prophets were often used, and, and as you move through history and you move through time, toward the time of Jesus when they had the synagogue worship that had taken over the temple worship. And the synagogue worship, when the different lessons were read in the synagogue, well, the prophet Jeremiah, and even this particular composite verse, is part of that worship and part of the way that people are taught. And so what you find happening over time is that the way that people are taught within the synagogue system is that they're taught from the prophets and they're taught from the scribes. They're not really taught from the priests. And I found that a little bit interesting that they would take these prophets and they would take the words of the prophet. And that would be one of the ways that God would use to train and teach his people all the way up into the time of Jesus. Because once the, the temple was uh, no longer, and even after, even before the temple was completely destroyed, they had moved to the synagogue worship. And so there was a move that was taking place. They were moving away from the priesthood as the central understanding of how to worship. And they were moving more to the scribes, representing the copying over of the scriptures, those that knew the scriptures, that were copying it over, copying over, copying over. And the prophet, and the prophet's the one that's actually speaking the living word to people. And so they were the ones that were uniquely qualified to speak a living word, like God speaking to his people, actively speaking to his people. And so you had this written word and you had the spoken word, and that was what God began to emphasize through the synagogue system that this is what we're going to really focus in on. We're going to focus in on this written word, but we're going to focus in on this prophetic word and those are the things I'm going to use to teach my people. Now, did they get rid of the sacrifice system? No, they didn't get rid of it, at least not for a while. But it, it was not the focus. And that's what I want you to hear from me, and, and that begins to help us to understand how the church developed out of that. Because what was being emphasized here, what was being emphasized by the prophet Jeremiah, what was being emphasized even as they began to move into this system of worship, was more, what's God saying to us? What's God revealing to us through His Word? How's God speaking to us, actively speaking to His people? And what's my response to that? And so that became the focus. So this thing is how Jeremiah begins here. And you look at it and said, like this thing, that, that this is the thing I said to you. This is the thing that matters. This is the thing that I reminded you of. This is this composite statement that's being made here. And he, and he says it's this thing, this this other command. Understand that the rest of it is superstition. And he speaks to and he gives us an understanding of what isn't superstition. What really matters. Now, I grew up with all kinds of superstitions, and I've talked to you about this before. I mean, there there was something for everything, you know, and my grandmother made sure I knew all of them, and so if something happened, I mean, if my left hand itched, I knew what that meant. If my right hand itched, I knew what that meant. If my foot was itchy, is it your left or your right foot? I know what that meant. it was my nose itching, I knew what that meant. All right? There are all kinds of superstitions. And and I resisted teaching my kids those things. Because, you know, as as we come into what we believe, and and what I believe at this point in my life, I mean, I just didn't see the need. Of course, I'm that guy that didn't tell his kids that Santa was real, too. I'm that guy that... Not, my kids never believed in the Easter Bunny. I'm that guy, all right? No tooth fairy for us. Cause well, that tooth fairy is creepy. All right, that tooth fairy sneaks in your room at night, gets under your pillow. I mean, I mean, leaving money. I mean, we ain't doing that. And so, and so we, you know, I'm that guy. So you got to have to excuse me, but I'm telling you that as far as what matters and what, what I believe Jeremiah is really, really focusing in on here is that this is what's not superstition. This is the stuff that really matters. This is what's going to matter in the long run. This is what's going to matter in the short run. This is what's going to matter. That this doesn't get old. In other words, this ages really well. And that what Jeremiah is prophesying here, aged really well, right up to Jesus, through Jesus, and even to this day, is still aging really well, because this is the Word of God. So some of the other stuff that people want to emphasize, some of the other stuff that people want to pay attention to, some of the other stuff that people want to make the focus, that doesn't age very well because it doesn't matter. So There's a bunch of superstition. It's a bunch of stuff that, that really isn't going to matter in the long run at all. It might make people feel better in the, in the short run, but in the long run, it doesn't make people feel better. It just doesn't. So it doesn't matter in the long run. And so, as God delivered His people from slavery, this was His command to them. This is what He said. And I, and I want to say this, because I think it's important, that as God delivers us, from wherever He delivers us from, wherever you came from, He delivered you from somewhere. He delivered me from somewhere. Well, if I just kept doing the same things, what's that going to lead to? going to lead to the same bondage. If I just kept doing the same stuff, I'm going to end up going back to the same thing I just came out of. And and that's part of the issue is that if we're going to receive deliverance, if we're really going to receive deliverance, then we have to be a people willing to hear what God has to say and make a change. Because doing the same stuff leads us back into the bondage we're trying to get out of. It got delivers out of. And so we have to make a different decision with our time. We have to make a different decision with our effort. We have to make a different decision with what we're looking at and the way that we're spending our time and all the rest of our thought life and all the rest of that kind of stuff. That other decisions have to be made if we're going to live freely. We're just going to go back. We're just going to go back. And I've seen plenty of people just go back. But almost all the time people go back it's because they don't want to change. They want to do something differently. They don't want to see things differently. They don't want to, to go about their life any differently. And so they go back to where they came from. Well, that makes sense. And and so, you know, it's this perpetual thing. It's like, well, God deliver me. All right. We'll do something different here. Do what I'm telling you to do. No, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. All right, well, you know, God, deliver me. Okay. And you know what's great about God is he's really faithful to do that? He is super faithful. He's so much more patient than we are. So much more patient. And so, we, you know, we, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. He's still there. He's still doing what he does. He's awesome like that. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's kind. He's loving. And he just does what he does. You want to be free? Okay, I'll set you free. Now, here's what I have for you to do. All right, you make a decision at that point. So, Jeremiah became a huge influence on, as I was saying before, on the Jewish thought. In other words, through the the work of the, the synagogue and through the teachings of the synagogue, Jeremiah and different parts of Jeremiah... He became a huge influence on the way people would worship God and the way people would understand God. Because he would be one that would be quoted. He would be one that would be memorized. He would be one that would, his words, as he prophesied those words, those words would be listened to over and over and over and over again. And like I said, the synagogue worship emphasized the teaching of the scribes and the prophets, not the priests. And because of that, there there was a witness for truth within the synagogue. A witness for truth rather than the symbol of the covenant. And so they were more concerned for whatever reason, however the Holy Spirit arranged that, however the Holy Spirit brought that about, is that the final cause of the covenant is truth. And that was what was being emphasized even up until and through the time of Jesus. So, understand God was setting things up. Understand that He was working things toward what we understand to be the gospel. So we understand to be His word to us. New Testament church. But he was setting that up in the time of Jeremiah. And he was bringing about changes, structural changes to the way people worship, structural changes to the way that they understood him, structural changes to the way they understood the word in order to have them ready for the time of Jesus. So he gets to this point. He's like, all right, well, The first thing he says there is he says, Obey me. I used to have a hat that said that. It was a volleyball hat. And it said, Obey me, underneath the bill of the hat. I think I was the only one that could see it, but... It said, Obey me. And obedience, and I want to say this, is required. It is required of us to listen for and respond to the voice of God. And God said that from the very beginning through his actions. Now, here's the interesting thing, because I don't think we really think about this too much, but there was a certain uh, element missing when the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness. Forty years in the wilderness. Alright, understand that they got delivered out of slavery, they got delivered out of bondage, They all left, en masse, they left as a huge group of people, started traveling across the wilderness, God miraculously delivers them through the Red Sea, they get on the other side, and they're on their way, a two-week journey to Canaan. Maybe a little bit long because there's so many of them, but that was approximately the amount of time it took to get over to Canaan, from where they were, even on foot. Well, somehow, they managed to turn that into 40 years. Of wandering. And and, uh, and again, I want to emphasize that because I think sometimes if you don't think about what I just said, you think, well, it must take 40 years to wander across the desert from Egypt to Canaan. No, it doesn't. Okay, that is not a normal time uh, lapse for that trip. I mean, you could walk around the world in 40 years. All right? You know, and that's all in the same part of the world. So there's no way it's going to take that long. And if you read the story, you understand what happened. And you understand that the reason that had to happen was that God was going to lay down His purpose, His plan. He was going to lay down His expectations for the people. The people couldn't be bothered to be patient enough to receive that from Him. And they went off and they started doing their own thing. And right from the start. And so God eventually got that word to them, spoke to them, said this is how I want you to live. But there were certain aspects of what he wrote there in the ceremonial law that was absent in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because Amos 5, 25, somebody look at that. And I'll get to why I'm talking about this. I'm harping on this for a reason. And I'll get to it. Amos
1: 5.25.
0: Why do you ask that? Right? Right. And, but that's so, that's so key to uh, the sacrificial system. Right, The sacrificial system requires people to bring animal offerings for it to take place. But there was a whole aspect of their worship that was missing during that 40 years of the sacrificial system. There was a whole aspect of that they didn't participate in and they didn't do. That's why Amos was asked the question, Well, if that's so important, well, why is it you didn't bring me any of those when you were wandering around for 40 years? If you think that that is the key to all of this, then Why? Why didn't you bring me those those sacrifices? That's the way everything has to be. Why didn't you do that? You want to know. Somebody else. Look at Joshua 5 and 2. Joshua five two. Yeah, all right. Now, by again, do you think they need to be recircumcised, or they weren't circumcised? They weren't. Right. So there was a generation, and there were a people that, as a, as the people of God's covenant. They had been circumcised, but here they had wandered across that wilderness. They had gotten to the, the promised land. Joshua was given instruction. What was he supposed to do? you got to circumcise those men. I want my people circumcised again. But obviously they weren't doing that when they were in the wilderness. Follow? Are you guys following me here? So they didn't have two key aspects of the ceremonial law going on while they were in the wilderness. Yeah, that whatever portion of the animal sacrifices that were being done, that part of it wasn't being done, and circumcision wasn't being done. In the way that it was supposed to be practiced. Now, this was just right after, though. I mean, didn't Moses come down from the mountain with the law? Wasn't that the founding of the law? Wasn't it, you know, but so long in the absence of the things that were actually proclaimed in the law, all right, the very time of its shunning but there was a 40-year absence of those things. Why? Because it is not of primary importance. That's why. And I hope you can see that and follow along on that. Now, why am I talking about this? Here's why I'm talking about this. It is easier to bring a goat for sacrifice than it is to obey. It is easier to find something physical that you can do rather than to obey. Obedience is much more difficult than a lot of the outward and physical aspects of what we describe or what we understand worship to be. And what you see happening through the history of Israel. From that point on, once they were in the promised land, once they began to establish whatever they were established, specifically after the kingdom was established, what you begin to see is a re-emphasis on the sacrificial and the ceremonial and less of an emphasis on obedience. And that's how they got into trouble all the time. Because in that context, that context, idolatry makes sense. Because all it is, is following whatever whatever the ceremony says. Oh, we're going to sacrifice two bulls and a goat. Okay, well this other god over here, they just want you to sacrifice one bull and two goats. Alright, well we'll do that then instead. And that makes sense under that system. And so what I want you to hear me saying is, is it's just a form of, by itself, it's just a form of what we would look at as idolatry. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or make anybody from this time frame feel bad because God only knows what they were going through and what they were doing. What I'm going to bring this home to is our time frame. I want to bring this home to you and to me. Because if you grew up in any kind of a, a kind of a traditional church background, you, you're going to start understanding what I'm saying. You probably already understand what I'm saying. If you check off your boxes, A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, and you get all your boxes checked off, <coughs> well, then you're good. But that's not the way God intended it to be. It isn't about the boxes. It isn't about checking it off. It isn't about, you know, so, somehow making everything, oh, I did I did this and that and the other thing, it's not what it's about. But it has to do with us, our response, our communication, our life with, our conversation with God. And that's what it was always about. That's why the prophet was front and center into the teaching of the synagogue was because what was being emphasized was God speaking to his people. What was being emphasized was their response to what God is speaking to his people. Not if you you, you came in and you, you brought the right sacrifice. But do you see how that's easier? Do you understand that? Do you understand it's just easier to pick out a couple goats and bring them over? Just <coughs> like it's easier to give money or it's easier to do whatever. I'm not trying to undercut our giving either. I'm just telling you, it's easier. So the primary importance is to hear God and do what He says. That's primary. And that was a re-emphasis that, not even a re-emphasis, that was the first emphasis that God gave to the children of Israel in Sinai by saying, alright, these are all the laws, but we'll worry about that later. Let's get the obedience part right. That's what He did. Let's get the hearing God part right. Let's get the obedience part right. <coughs> Let's get that down. And then we'll worry about the ceremonial stuff at some other point. Alright? The synagogue then became the re-emphasis of the way it was meant to be from the start. But because we're people, we're always tending back toward the ceremony. It's easier. We like it. We like it. We like it. We like the predictability of it. We like it. I mean, it's just good. When I went to church when I was a kid, my grandfather was a pastor. I knew what was happening. I didn't know what he was going to say, but I knew what everything else was happening because <clears throat> there was a board at the front of the church that had all the hymns on it, right? I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, Sister Blackman's going to play them. And I knew some of them by the number because I remember, you know, because we'd sing by the same one. And then after the offering, I knew what we were going to sing, the doxology. We are going to have the prayer of dedication. I knew at the end there was going to be an altar call and we were going to sing something like, just as I am, or something. something's going to happen, that'd be it. And if I made it through the service of my grandmother, dragging me out and whooping my butt, it was a good Sunday. But there's other... And you think about, like, that gives us comfort a little bit, but... You think about like uh, other traditional religions. They even they even reinstitute the idea of well, there's priests. I mean, really? Or they reinstituted the the daily sacrifices. Uh, and and you say, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, we would say figuratively, but they would say literally. And in all of these traditional kind of religions kind of found their way back to this sacrificial system because it's easier and more predictable, and they like it. And so whatever we have in us that draws us toward that, it's important for us to remember that. Years ago when we were starting this church, I was out in California at a meeting in Anaheim or somewhere, and we were going around, and we were all younger pastors at the time. We were going around, we were talking about, we were saying, hey, you know, what do you guys do for your service? And so you would say, well, whatever. And um, one of the guys was talking about his service, how, you know, they dim the lights, and they have candles going, and all this stuff. And I'm like, why do you do that? And he's like, well, people feel more comfortable that way. Well, heck, yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. It's dark. Candles, we love candles. I mean we use candles on Christmas Eve, you know. It's dark. We dim the lights, candles for silent night. But that's it. Alright? We do it once a year. So it's nice and that's it. Candlelight service, you know, song, whatever. But I, I when as I was talking to these guys, they were they were pandering toward, again no judgment. I don't care what they're doing. They they got bigger churches than I'll ever have, but they're pandering toward this this part of us that loves ceremony that loves ritual. Yeah, you know, a couple people would ask me back then, it's like, so what do you guys do? And I told them about Open Church. And to a to a person that was there. They're like, that's a really cool idea, but you're out of your mind.
1: <laughs>
0: and what open church is, is that you just turn it over to people. And say, all right, do whatever you feel like God's leading you to do. And if they want to come up and give a teaching, they come up and give a teaching. They want to lead us in a song, they lead us in a song. They want to do whatever. That's, that's just what it is. Poetry, um, dance, whatever you want to do. It's like a Christian open mic, hopefully led by the Spirit. <laughs> but you just do that. Like, yeah, but people come in off the street, right? I'm like, yeah, sometimes. And you don't know who's going to be there? No. Well, do you know what they're going to do ahead of time? Like, nope. Not until I call on them. What happens if it gets all messed up? And then it's all messed up. And somehow, we're still going. Somehow, somehow, and the reason I'm telling you this is because we have to fight the ritual side of things. We have to fight that comfort that's in us, that that, that desires, that wants, that wants the predictable all the time. To To put it out there and say, well, God, what do you have today? What do you want to say? What do you have for me? And to hear what he has to say and actually respond to that. In the Old Testament, the word hear, many times, H-E-A-R, is rendered obey. Because they were together. Hearing and obeying were together. And you see one rendered as the other in the Old Testament even though the word might be the other word that's translated as hear in other places in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it'd be translated obey in other places in the Hebrew. Because that's how joined together they were, hearing and obeying what he has to say. So if the ritual wasn't of primary importance, even in the time of Moses, even in the time of Moses, what should be our emphasis now? Because I mean, in our minds, that was the most ritualistic time. And yet God had set it up where it wouldn't even be of primary importance then. How much less now? When you think about Jesus. And I mean, seriously. And you think about Jesus. And I mean, He did some things that had to do with paying the temple tax or some of the things that he was going to do, but he was really moving people back into a relational understanding of God. You know, the way we were created. That the Garden of Eden, there wasn't ritual there. There wasn't all of this uh, pattern and everything there. They just lived their lives out and. God would meet with them in the cool of the day. And they'd interact with Him and He'd interact with them and that's how they lived. And it seems to me that Jesus was all about seeking and saving that kind of relationship with us, with His disciples. I mean, saying something like, you know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man? Huh. That is a really powerful statement. And it reemphasizes something, and it changes the the understanding of something that all of those people had taken for granted their whole lives. And it reorders things. And I think for some of us, we need a reordering in our heart. We need a reordering in our mind. We need a reordering in our spirit. Because Jesus said, He's like, you need to obey. And then he made the statement and you can see this as a re-emphasis or a, or a explaining it deeper kind of thing, where he says, You need to live the way I command you to live. In other words, it's one thing to hear what he says. I mean you hear him. And we've all we've all done this, where you hear God, oh this is what you said. Okay. This is what it says, you know, this is what I read, or this is what you said, this is the prophetic word over my life. Oh, this is direction for my life, or, or this is what you have for me, this is the vision that you've given me, and all the rest, and yet we end up going and doing something else. And so, what was being, what the prophet was saying here is like, you got to live it out. It's like, all right, well I hear you, God. All right, well I have an expectation that God's going to speak. Well, this is an Old Testament expectation that God's going to speak. So I have even more so the Holy Spirit in me. I got Jesus in me. I got God speaking in me very personally. So I have this expectation God's going to speak. Well, then I need an expectation I'm going to do what he says. There should be some reasonable expectation in our life that if we're going to hear God, we're going to do what he says. That should be a reasonable expectation. That we need to obey his voice the word, his will, his purpose, his plan for our life and and I want to say this action is key. Action is key. So we get the word we get what God says. well let's do something about it. Well God has this for my life. all right well I need to do something about that. take some action. What am I gonna do? Well I don't I can't answer that part but you need to do something. Get it moving. Whatever that means. And if the action is to sit and pray, then sit and pray. If the action is to wait on the Lord, then you wait on the Lord. If the action is to fast, then you fast. I can't answer that for you. But what's God directing you to? What's God speaking into your life? What is He leading you into? Well, that's something you need to respond to in whatever way you need to respond. But that action of response is key if we're going to really live out the life that God has given us to live. Because we can talk about all the mumbo-jumbo you want to. We can argue about the minutiae of everything in the Bible if you want to, but we're just wasting time. don't need to argue about that. Well, I don't believe in that. I don't care. Okay? ain't going to stop you from living your life out with Jesus. Yeah, Andy, I don't like the way you guys do this. I don't care. I don't care. We're doing our best, all right? Is that going to hinder you from living out your life with Jesus? Probably not. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's get to what God has said over my life. Let's get to what God has said over your life. Let's get to what God has led you to. Let's get to where God is leading you. Let's get to what God has for you, blessing-wise, provision-wise, life-wise, abundant life-wise. Let's get to it. Let's stop arguing about it. Let's stop arguing about all the stuff that doesn't matter. And let's just get to it. I think the church has wasted enough time arguing about stuff that means absolutely nothing. Nothing. And nothing. You know, we're trying to watch uh, Happy Jesus on the the Roku or whatever. You got Happy Jesus out there, The Chosen, in Season 2. You know, we haven't been able to get past Episode 5 because we can't find it. But, you know, it's The Chosen. But we happen to see Season 2, Episode 5, and all I could read about online is, oh, the controversy. The controversy. Alright, 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 alright. Hang on. Hang on. Happy Jesus is presenting Jesus in a way that people can understand and see. There there's an interest worldwide to hear more about and, and to take some time with Jesus. Why is there to argue about what's the controversy? I don't like something he wrote. That guy Dallas, who cares? Who cares? Old Dallas, he wrote what he wrote. Oh, boy. I'm upset with that. Well, go do something else then. Why don't you pony up some money? Go make your own happy Jesus. <laughs> or don't watch it. That's an option. All right? Or Or just, just calm down and see the bigger picture and see what God is doing through this, see what God is doing through what He's doing on that, and leave it alone. Why don't you encourage it instead of trying to nitpick it to nothing? Maybe I'm just an old, you know, fuddy-duddy, but kind of came to that conclusion a while back. You know, Jesus, He talks about, He's like, well, if He's not opposing us, right? No, well, then He's for us. Good. Okay. seem pretty open-minded. So action's got to be the key to getting it going. And and so what I was just talking about right there, trying to talk about, I tried to insert a little passion into it, is don't let excuses, what excuses? Dumb excuses. Don't get any excuses. Don't let any excuses get in the way of just going after what God has for you. Just don't. Don't let the arguments get in the way. Don't let your own... Oh, but I was taught this. Well, who cares? I was taught a lot of stuff when I was a kid. Had to kind of leave it behind. Some of it formed the foundation of my life, and I'm eternally thankful for that. But some of it, I said leave it behind. I said to. And that's just the way it was. But what I'm trying to do, really, is just to get a hold of what God has for me. And get about it. That's what, I, that's what I want to do. And so you get toward the end here. In uh, Toward the end of that verse says, Then. I don't know if your Bible says, Then. Toward the end. Then. Something happens. You got that part? Then. And only then. I'll, I'll emphasize. Then and only then. Once all this is happening, things will go well for you. It's a good effect of obedience. Now, by go well, I have to qualify that. Why? Well, there's the little problem with the whole New Testament church and all of the apostles and disciples. You know, we define go well with us as being uh, fat and happy, but that wasn't the way they defined it. Um, These guys gave their lives for what they believed in. And that wasn't fat and happy. It was, they gave their lives what they believed in. But they went about doing something that gave them purpose, gave them meaning, and gave them life. And that more abundantly. And they believed and they knew that the sacrifice of their life, they would end up in a better place than they were where they were. And so there was a no-lose situation for them. There was a win-win situation for them. And that's what they went about doing. It's the good effects of obedience. Now, what does God say about that? Somebody look at Exodus 15.26. Exodus 15.26. So he's on the way, they're on the way out of Egypt. And God says, now, now, what's he emphasizing in that verse, all right? If you pay attention, right? And you listen carefully. Well, here's the problem. And if you've ever had to give people instructions, have you ever been in a supervisory role? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, you start learning right away. People don't pay good attention. And, and again, no judgment. I, it's just the way it is. But people that, that aren't used to paying attention, people that aren't used to following instructions, people that aren't used to, to really hearing what people are saying, they miss it. They do something else. They do what they in their head. Unless you're right on top of them to correct them and say, no, 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 this is what I have for you to do. Yeah. And what I've found over time is that the more you live inside your head, and you know who you are. The less you hear out here. And if you're brought up, like as a kid you were a loner, and you lived inside your head a lot as a loner, you have a hard time hearing out here. Pay attention. Because everything that that verse was saying you need to do. Everything that verse is saying you need to do is get out of your head, out of your head, out of yourself and really emphatically pay attention to what God is saying. That's up to you. And some of you, some of us, we have to retrain ourselves to do that. Because it's been so long we've lived in our head that we're not really good at living out here. And so you've got to train yourself to do that. How do you train yourself to do that? It's like everything else in the Gospel. How do you train yourself to do that? with each other. That's how we live it out. That's how we retrain ourselves is with each other. Learn to listen to people. Learn to hear what they have to say. Giving them the opportunity to speak. Really thinking about following instructions when you're given instructions. I mean, really hearing it? Yeah, going about it. And so I can only encourage you to do that. I can only encourage you to take the time and the opportunity with one another. You know, kind of as kind of the gospel says, you love, you show your love for God, show your love for one another. You say, "I love God," well, you need to love your brother. Yeah, you know, that, that's how it is. And so we're going to listen. We need to learn to listen. And the best place to learn to listen is around among the people that you're around every single day and the opportunities you have every single day to pay attention and to listen and retrain yourself to be able to hear God because it says there if you do that he talks about some health and wholeness for your life that's what he says I'll take that I'll take that I'll take that that you know Jesus has made provision for us And you could rightfully say, oh, I'm preaching the gospel out of the Old Testament. Well, so did Jesus, you know, and some of the New Testament writers, I mean, Paul did. Because the revelation that God gave was there, and it's here. The revelation that God gave was in the Old Testament, and it was still in the New Testament, and still through the writings of all the writers of the New Testament, and through the teachings of Jesus. It's there. You know, by His stripes we were healed. We were healed. So you serve a God that if you're, is there any sick among you, let him come to the elders of the church, let him put oil on him, pray for him, prayer of faith. I mean, yeah. How many people did Jesus heal? Multitudes, multitudes. That was a huge part of his ministry, was healing people, delivering people, seeing people set free. That's what he did. And so there's an emphasis that's being placed as you read through this. It's like we serve a God who is all about healing us. We need to be a people of hearing and actually doing. Deuteronomy 5:29. Somebody else. I'm getting done. Don't worry. Deuteronomy 5:29. Yeah, go well. And and so the inclination of the heart, well, that has something to do with us. Has something to do with you, has something to do with me. What do you incline your heart toward? I don't know. You know. And if you don't know, you should probably think about that. What do you lean into in your life? What do you lean against? What, what, are you, what are you moving toward all the time? You should probably really think about that. Because what that verse tells us is that the inclination of our heart, in other words, what we are pointing our heart toward, what we're moving toward in our lives, needs to be what God has for us. His plan, His purpose, His will. What He wants. Right, we're going to end up with this verse. There's a few verses here, uh, and this will be it. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 8 through 12. And, and what you have here is Paul writing to a church. And as he's writing to this church, he's, he's trying to get them out of the ceremonial and into the relational. Because they were struggling. They were struggling to leave behind what didn't matter and prioritize what did. It's like, what really, really, really matters? And so he's speaking to the church in Colossae about that. So Colossians 2, verses 8 through 12. And that's where we'll end up. thanks for reading that and so he, he's sitting a, a, basically what he says there is Jesus is it Jesus is it and, and he uses a couple of examples there uh, of things that they were struggling with circumcision was one of the things they were struggling with do, do Christian believers have to be circumcised that was a big question for them we don't have that question but we got other questions that don't matter But that was their huge question. And so Paul's like, no. So then he says something. Follow me here. Then he says something in response to that, and he mentions baptism, right? Right? So from that statement, Christians over the centuries have concluded, well, you have to be baptized to be saved. But that's not what he said. In fact, that's exactly what he's not saying. He's exactly not saying that at all. He's lumping it all together in the same thing. He's saying these are not the important things Jesus is. Jesus is it. He's everything. He's all-powerful. The whole Godhead is in Him. He's a ruler over everything. He has authority over everything. He is it. Simplify. 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 Yeah. You know that thief on the cross beside Jesus? When when Jesus was crucified? You know that guy? He never said the sinner's prayer. And he wasn't baptized either. But he was going to be with Jesus in paradise that day. Why? Because Jesus is it. Jesus is what matters. Yeah. Yeah. That guy messes up so much theology. That, That one guy, that malefactor that was on the cross by Jesus that guy messes up so many bad arguments and bad so much bad theology. You gotta love that guy. Everything people say, oh, it's got to be this way. Well, what about the thief on the cross? I can't tell you how many times I've asked people that. Like, like guys are telling me how it is. Well, what about? Well, this is how it has to happen. What about the thief on the cross? Well, no, really. What about that guy? Because no matter what the argument is, when it comes right down to it, you know what the thief on the cross, you know what he had? Jesus. That was it. He had nothing else. He had no argument. He had no way to to prove out anything. He had no way to to do any good works. He had no way to do anything. He was just a thief on a cross. He was hanging on a cross dying. He had nothing to offer. All he had was Jesus. That was it, but that's enough. That's enough. So I'll take a few moments and give you an opportunity to respond tonight. And what I what I just want to do, and I'm not going to take a, a long time to do this because I've talked a little bit over, but uh, what I want you to do is I want you to really think about what matters. Not what you're comfortable with, not not what you're used to, Now, what you grew up with, what really matters? And maybe you got something else out of this. I don't know. People get stuff out of stuff I say all the time, but I don't even know how. But that's all right, because God speaks, and God, God reveals, and God shows. So, I just want you to respond. And it may be just laying down some stuff that doesn't matter. Maybe leaving behind some things that don't matter. It may be a re-emphasis in your life of Jesus, of hearing and doing. A recommitment of your life toward His purpose and His plan for you. Maybe a recommitment toward His voice in your life. Maybe you're crying out to Jesus saying, Guys, I want to hear you, but I need to live it. I need to live it. I want to live it. I'm going to live it. And make your commitments. It might be as simple as paying attention and putting yourself in a position to be trained to pay more and more attention to what Jesus is saying in your life. Father have your way tonight I pray in the next moments you would just speak we'd have ears to hear and a heart and a mind that's open to receive what you want to say what you want to do and how you want to lead us tonight thank you Lord Thank you, Lord. Thanks, God. Heavenly Father, I just uh, say thanks for uh, just your patience, your long-suffering, your love over us. Thanks, God, for second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and tenth and a hundred opportunities, God, to get things lined up right. I just want to thank You for who You are in our lives. I want to thank You, God, that Your voice is with us. Your Word is with us. Your plan, Your purposes for our lives are with us. I pray, God, if we've been off the track, we'll get back on the track tonight. If we've been distracted, we'll get refocused tonight. Give you thanks. Give you thanks. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's screw by saying amen. Amen. All right, good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you Mm -hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the comunidad. Well, there's a lot of people. Yeah. Started in 1997.